Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. On our show today, we are joined by gun violence prevention advocate Jeff Caskey, father of Cameron Caskey, founder of March for Our Lives, and gun owner Guillermo Sabatier. These gun owners talk with me and Radio Gag producer Ty Kersley, who served for 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. The conversation revolves around issues of gun ownership, responsibility, and the consequences of carrying a gun. But first, Shep Wannan shares our in memoriam for Tasha Haight of Enoch City, Utah. Tasha Haight, 40 years old, mother of five, died last week in her home in a murder-suicide that took the lives of her mother and children as well. Her cousin posted this on Facebook. This is my dear, sweet cousin, Tausha, her children and my amazing Aunt Gail. I know that most of you have already heard the story on the news and through other friends and family, but I haven't posted about this tragedy yet because I am still struggling to wrap my head around it. I haven't been able to find the words. They were such important people in my life. We grew up together and were very close. Tausha filed divorce proceedings from her husband, Michael, on December 21st, 2022. Her lawyer described Tausha as someone who was incredibly nice, a polite client, and in every meeting, the only things she truly cared about were her children. He said she, in, she never indicated that her or her children were in any threat of physical harm. In the aftermath of the murder-suicide, community members are struggling to comprehend the magnitude of the loss. A spokesperson for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said the Haight family was a part of its local LDS church. It held a remembrance ceremony for the family Thursday night. Family members asked that their loved one's deaths not be politicized, but made note that firearms were removed from the home before the incident. One family member clarified that the weapons were removed by Michael, which ultimately left them, Tausha and her children, vulnerable to his actions. One community member said at a press conference, we all knew this family. Many of us were, have served with them in church and community and gone to school with these individuals. And so this community at this time is hurting. They're feeling loss. They are feeling pain. They have a lot of questions, which is natural. Tausha Haight, we remember you. Thank you, Shep, for sharing the story of the loss of the Haight family, as well as Tausha. Next, we hear our interview with Ty Kersley, Jeffrey Kasky, and Guillermo Sabatier. Okay, welcome everybody to Radio Gag. We are here today for a conversation about gun ownership, gun safety, uh, and the kinds of threats that we face in our everyday lives. So we're here 
I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. Ty Kersley is on the call and we're here with Jeff Kasky. Jeff is a gun owner. He's a longtime advocate for gun safety and he is the father of Cameron Kasky, a founder of March for Our Lives. And we also have Guillermo Sabatier, and he is a gun owner and has his own advocacy that uh, I'm sure you guys are going to explore and tell us about. And some things you might not know about Ty. Ty, uh, Ty has a military background and is trained in the use of weapons. So he has some informed opinions about guns and their use in our society, too. So, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. Jeff, Guillermo, Ty, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to Radio Gay. Thank you for having us. So what would each of you say is a myth about gun ownership? Um, Jeff, if you're ready, would you start? Sure. I, I think that the biggest myth of gun ownership um, is that guns, owning a gun makes you safer. That somehow owning, having access to uh, and carrying a weapon makes you safer. It, it logically it seems like it would be true, but it's just not. In fact, the uh, the alternative is true. Uh, it makes you a lot less safe. You're much more likely to die, uh, uh, to get shot and killed, uh, oftentimes with your own gun, uh, than you would be to to save yourself or rescue anyone uh, if you're carrying a gun. Um, so, uh, interesting to hear if, uh, what Guillermo's take on this is. Go ahead, Guillermo. Well, thank you. Uh, and, and I definitely agree on, on, on what Jeff is saying, and that is, becomes definitely important when they have that without any of the adequate training required to actually be able to carry. Uh, believe it or not, one of the most common uh, gunshot wounds or fatalities are usually uh, self-inflicted wounds that involve uh, drawing the gun from an appendix carry, for example, they end up shooting themselves. So, so that 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 myth of invulnerability, right, is is, is one thing that we hope, hopefully address, right? Now, now I myself, you know, I I've I survived a defensive uh, handgun incident, which it was a home invasion against three attackers. So for me, it's it's having that weapon by itself, you know, was not sufficient. It required a lot of training and experience that I had accumulated for many years to be able to survive that. Yeah, I know you mentioned before, Gamera, you had been in some hostile situations where, you know, you yeah. needed to be armed in your life. And, yeah. but we also know these are rare situations, but it certainly has affected your perspective. So we still have that. Where, where was that? Where did that actually take place? Well, that happened in uh, Miami Dade County many, many years ago. I mean, decades ago. So let's move on to this idea of what does carrying a gun get you? What does it mean to you? And what are some of the consequences of firing your weapon um, when you or your property are threatened? Yeah, uh, so I agree with, with Guillermo regarding the training, um, but I'll take it a step further. There, many of the situations that, that would come up uh, for somebody who's carrying concealed, for example, or open carrying, but carrying a weapon in public are, aren't really trainable. For example, what, what do you get when you're carrying? A lot of people think that now they're Batman. They're, they're a superhero. Uh, look at the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. Here's a guy who probably wouldn't have been where he was had he not had, uh, a, you know, assault weapon, which he thought was there to protect him. And uh, there would be two lives uh, that weren't lost had he not decided to strap up and arm himself and, uh, and, and you know, be, be a superhero and be Call of Duty in real life. 
So what do you get? If you're in a restaurant, for example, you're in public and somebody comes to you, comes up to you and sticks a gun in your face and says, give me all your money. You know, the, the assumption is that you're going to be able to draw your gun and, and, and shoot them and kill them and keep your money. Um, I, I, I think that Guillermo would probably agree. That's just not realistic in real life. First of all, you're not likely to hit your target. Uh, I, I think that one of the best trained police departments in the country, the New York City uh, Police Department, NYPD, they hit their target approximately 18 percent, 18 percent of discharges hit their target. I did a little bit of research and across the country, the best number I could find, the highest percentage was 55 percent that some police department somewhere claimed that 55 percent of their rounds that were discharged actually hit the intended target. That means there's a lot of rounds flying around out there, whether it's 18 percent, 54, 55 percent, whatever it is that are not hitting their targets. And those are from highly trained shooters. So the, the, what, what you think you're getting is not necessarily what you're going to get. And I would propose to you this, that if you had a choice of handing over your wallet with a little bit of money in it versus actually taking the life of another human being. I think most people, if they really, really dug down deep and thought of the long-term consequences, would probably rather hand over their 60 bucks than kill somebody who was desperate enough to ask to, uh, to demand their money. I, I like that, Jeff. I like these um, the stats because we, we bring these up occasionally with you know trained individuals and, and so forth. But it's also a culture change because the, the shooter you were mentioning was trained in a situation throughout their life where their parents thought it was completely fine. I mean, this was an underage person who was um, basically validated by their, you know, by their own creator to go out and kill people. So the culture change, um, the stats don't hit them the same way. It doesn't seem like you can tell someone who's raised around it, who thinks they are going to be someone's savior, um, that they're going to miss. They're, you know, that that's not the mentality that they're in. The culture is telling them that they can be this hero. You know, if you, you go see a lethal weapon or whatever, and Mel Gibson is spinning around uh, prone on the floor, rolling and, and shooting, and every bullet hits the target, that's not real life. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of these particularly young men think that they're that they're going to experience, that they've got a gun. So now they're a superhero and they can do anything. Uh, so Guillermo. Thank you. And, and, and that's definitely a great point. Now, going beyond that, the moral consequences, right, uh, spiritual, psychological consequences, actually doing that. You got to remember, right, any one of those like uh, defensive firearm incidents, you know, you're more than likely going to be charged, depending on the jurisdiction you're in. Right? And just defending that, right, uh, the legal defense, going back to the right house situation, the amount of money that went into that case on the defense side was in the millions, right? Now, which is why now most everybody carries uh, that self-defense insurance, right? I mean, and, and that's another thing where you, you got millions of dollars on, on retainer just to be able to use uh, to assemble a legal team. So that gives you an idea, right, of what the environment looks like if you have to do that to defend yourself. Absolutely. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Guillermo is saying. Um, I'm also a lawyer, so I kind of have an inside take on on the the cost of defending this this sort of thing but not just the not just the financial cost the emotional cost the spiritual cost uh and and you know where you're going to end up is not where you want to be 
Um, you don't want to be on the other side of this. You're much better off just being an innocent bystander who happened to be uh, robbed or mugged than somebody who pulled out a gun and, and shot uh, and maybe hit a baby across the street or something like that. But let me also say on the issue of insurance, the uh, NRA propounded this system that they, that they called universal background checks, which is a brilliant name because there's nothing universal about it. And now they've got everybody in the world saying, we demand universal background checks. If you look to see what the NRA's universal background checks are, you won't be very impressed. But if, if the private marketplace and, and, you know, was involved in, the, in gun ownership uh, insofar as having to insure it and having to pay for those mistakes, they would make sure that you're not getting insurance unless you get that training. So if you have the insurance, you have the training. And guess what? If you have the training, you'd probably not carry your weapon. If you really had the right training, if you if you understood the scenarios, if you went through them and you, you, you spent all that time, the amount of time that it takes to get the correct training, at the end of the day, you're probably going to leave it in the safe. Wow. Ty, you want to respond? I've been through training. I, just to clarify, I was in the Air Force for 20 years. So the majority of the training of the first 10 was just to keep your you know, your accuracy, you know, everyone wants to at the range. And then these two pesky wars came up and uh, we were deploying with weapons all the time. And, and, you know, individuals would lose a weapon and then lose their career. You were issued a weapon that has your name and a serial number and it, it has a duty that goes along with it. And you treat it completely differently, I think, than the one that you leave on your kitchen table. So we are armed citizens in our nation and given them tactical gear, I believe is all spawned from 9-11 and telling citizens that they are constantly on the lookout for an enemy um that's people were raised with that and if as long as all of us on the call agree that selling more guns isn't our objective then there is no reason to call out a man and say look if you're a gun owner and you've been through training you need to identify these weapons because we've done this to ourselves so i don't think anyone can really scream second amendment at me anymore when I'm like, it's too late. Something has to completely change on how we look at the culture that this country has when it comes to being armed. Guillermo, why don't you weigh in on this thoughts? Oh, I mean, uh, I, there, there's always a controversy with the idea of registration. Uh, I've always believed that rather than whether the registration, it's put the burden on, on, on the, on, the consequence based, right? You're you're looking okay. Somebody loses that or doesn't store it, it gets stolen, something happens. Now your your consequence is far more severe. And so then it becomes a culture of well, let me get this done correctly with a CYA, right? Cover your tail type of scenario because now now the consequence is really severe rather than trying to pass a law. Because at the end of the day, you have to you think what law will what legislation will likely get passed, and that's something that you always struggle with when you. When you advise, for example, legislators, okay, you're writing this wrong. It's not going to get passed. It's not going to get passed as written. So, so ultimately, right, a law has to be written in, in a way that it will require the least amount of amendments, right, and to actually make it into law. So, part of that is a problem, right? So, so my point is that ultimately, writing something that that makes sense, which is why, from my perspective, and why I joined Giffords in the first place, was to be able to actually contribute as a gun owner and somebody who actually understands how this works. From the gun owner's perspective, something that's effective and more likely to pass. And in fact, you're more likely to get, for example, a Republican to pass legislation that involves, you know, uh, sensible safety than it is to actually get, uh, 
on, on the left when they pass these huge omnibus bills that end, ends up uh, meeting a lot of opposition. So that's a lesson I might actually keep on learning over and over again. Great. So Jeff, we want you to weigh in on this. Go ahead. Yeah, I think as Guillermo has highlighted, there really is not the political will. I mean, the, the platitudes are there. The politicians are, are saying all the right things. You know, the, the Republicans give their thoughts and prayers because that's what the NRA tells them to say. Um, and, you know, I think I, like most people in this country, thought that Sandy Hook would be the tipping point. I thought that that would be the end, that uh, after Sandy Hook, all these children and babies were murdered. Um, there would be something actually done. But as long as the NRA keeps showering these politicians with cash and as long as our political system is run by lobbyists and is pay to play, this is just what we're going to get. We're going to talk around each other in circles. Our country is going to become more and more violent. More and more arms are going to be sold. They're going to be sold to the wrong people. I'm not against people, uh, adult responsible ownership of guns. Um, but right now, the NRA's position is sell as many guns as humanly possible. And yes, I know I've heard it all. Uh, the NRA doesn't sell guns, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, except for they sort of get a bonus every time a gun is sold by certain companies and they get direct payment from these uh, gun manufacturers uh, towards towards their pocketbooks. And if you want to hear a great podcast, I don't know if you guys have heard this. Uh, there's a, a series called Gangster Capitalism. And on season two, they pick apart the NRA using the NRA's own court filings, their own court filings. Uh, so you can see how corrupt and disgusting that organization and the people who run it uh, really are and what's going on with that money. But there's just no political will. And you can tweak a word here and there and the politicians will get you running around chasing your tail in circles over a word, a comma, whatever. It's not going to happen uh, until there's a very major change in, in politics in this country. Jeff, if I can say, you you have seen the major change. You've seen this new generation say, I don't want these people in charge of my safety anymore. And they've run, and now they're in Congress. May only be one right now. It's just slow motion. This is the it's revolution. I agree with it you. It is happening. The people who want accountability, slow watching it because more people are dying each year. But uh, I see hope. I don't see us being stuck in a forever circle. I see us getting rid of those people. Ultimately, uh, I, I agree with you, Ty, that it's going to take a long time and it's happening in slow motion. Um, all I could say is God help us all if Cameron Caskey ever decides to run for anything. Um, but, uh, but, the, but the people like him um, uh, are, are absolutely going to be there doing the right thing, hopefully, in the, in the not too, too distant future. Uh, it's just taking forever, and I uh, hope it happens in my lifetime, which could be uh, the, the end of the day. Who knows? You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, here on listener-sponsored, commercial-free radio, WBAI. Thanks for listening at this special time. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. If you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or any major podcast platform. Thank you.
now we return to our interview with Jeffrey Kasky, Guillermo Sabatier, and Ty Kersley. Gun Owners Talk. The increase of armed intimidation towards our more vulnerable members of the LGBTQIA2S plus community is a major concern with Gays Against Guns. And here on Radio Gag, so we touch on this later in our discussion. Thank you, Ty. Well, we are going to wrap up, um, and I'd, I'd like um, Guillermo to start, but let's remember also that in our podcast, we have more time. So if you want to comment on the current context of how armed intimidation is shaping our society, uh, things like uh, someone showing up at Walmart, changing into tactical gear in the restroom, um, you know, armed with two long guns and four handguns, uh, and 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 even apprehended by police. You all have a background in security, but this person will be charged, but ultimately they will not be culpable because they have committed no crime in an open carry state like Georgia. I've never been a fan of open carry at all. So that, that, that presents so many problems. But, but going beyond to the general uh, topic of today's conversation, it's just going back to the idea that, that uh, uh, open carry or, or even concealed carry, right? It, it's not just a simple matter of carrying. You need to have a lot of training. You need to have the insurance. And that insurance by itself also provides you with a lot of training, almost to the point that you're not discouraged from carrying by the actual insurance itself. So, so and that is my point, right? So always, the, but the takeaway I always give with that is usually is um, know the law. And, and once you know the law, you're gonna realize that you're, you're more likely to get into more trouble and, and then, than it's worth. Uh, but again, always remember, right? Always think you're not like a sane, sober, moral, prudent person, right? And the conclusion is that uh, discretion is a better part of valor when it comes to concealed carry. So I with, uh, with Guillermo's take on this, um, I'm I'm a little a little bit further on the radical side um, insofar as the, the the politics of it. I get that they're that they exist and they're real, but the reality of it is this: if you're one of those guys who walks around with an AR-15 strapped around your body in public, you think you look like a tough guy, but what you look like is a jerk. And if somebody wanted to come up and steal your AR-15, they could probably take it from you in about two seconds flat. You are not as as invincible as you think you are. You frankly look like a douchebag. You make our country look like Afghanistan, and you should leave your AR-15 at home and get a real life. Thanks. Okay, Ty. I don't know how to engage with someone on that level, though, because there is no other. I mean, we just shame and blame, you know, here because we have to bring attention to bad behavior. And bad behavior with the weapon um, is is now the crisis. So not, not leaving it at home, but double checking if this person should even have an AR-15. I know uh, Guillermo considers it still a you know a sport rifle. Uh, it just doesn't it doesn't need to be aimed at humans um, by other citizens. And what happens to you know just your body? Is, isn't for you know hunting it really is the mental capacity of these shooters they're excited they're caught up on the adrenaline and they get to watch this destruction 
Um, and that's what they want is as much of that as possible. Mentally, a lot of them can't take it afterwards, but that rush of being the one to go in there and telling someone in their face, say goodnight, and then destroying their body with a weapon. Some people protect that weapon more than they do the children. And that's the behavior. That's the cultural change that we have to outnumber. And it's not just tell that guy to stay home, but say, you know, you were wrong to the core and this messaging is wrong. Um, but I hope that we're all on the same side with that. I know there's certainly things to tweak when it comes to weapons, but civilians do not need this. And they certainly need a lot more scrutiny before they could have one. And Guillermo, did I didn't mean to call you out without you having any chance to say anything back, but... Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> I wanted to follow up with that because the truth is, it's not just one type. You can't focus just one type. You need to focus access to any and all types. And, and, and that's where, where I actually base my efforts on is making sure we, we, we focus on the people that we want to restrict versus restricting one particular type. Because, because any of them, I mean, a 30 out of 16 is more devastating than a 223 or a 556, right? So that's kind of what I'm always been getting at. That it doesn't matter the type, it matters you restrict the person. But I see your point. Yeah, sure. I, I, I understand Guillermo's perspective on that. I think that the, the weapon type does matter, and I'm going to tell you why. The uh, Culturally, the scary-looking weapons are pushed on these kids like Kyle Rittenhouse, and, you know, these life losers who want to be soldiers who probably couldn't pass the psychological. The scarier-looking the, the weapon, the more attractive it is to the wrong, uh, to the wrong owner. Uh, sometimes uh, it's pointed out to me that there are rifles that are the same as an AR-15, for example. They shoot the same rounds at the same speed. They run the same ammo. Um, but these are like wooden, you know, stock rifles that, that just don't look sexy. You know, do we want to ban those two? The issue is really the way these things are marketed through Call of Duty, through some of the marketing. If you look at the Bushmaster ads that say, uh, time to punch your man card. You're not a real man unless you own our weapon. So I think that the that the, the type of weapon does play into it. Uh, with all due respect to Guillermo, I think I get his point, but um, but I respectfully disagree on that level. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate hearing your views on Radio Gag. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. And be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions. Sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com. That's gagsignup at gmail.com. And remember, all are welcome to come to gag meetings. It's time to end our show. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows at any time on the WBAI website or any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Have a great and safe day. To sing tales of money laundering Wonder what could be so rank Hiding there at Deutsche Bank
Fumigate the sick west wing You will pay 